Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Laura Clivens in San Francisco. We begin in San Diego County, where the San Ysidro Port of Entry reopens today to non-essential travel for the first time in nearly 20 months. Border crossings had been restricted to workers whose jobs were deemed essential during the COVID-19 pandemic. Moises Castillo is in charge of Customs and Border Control at the Port of Entry. As we lift restrictions, we are expecting an increase in travelers and we're also expecting an increase in wait times. We ask that travelers be patient with our officers and assist us in speeding up the process. Officials are urging those who plan to cross the border to have their travel and vaccination documents available for inspection. Castillo says officials will check vaccination status periodically at San Ysidro. The vaccination requirement does not apply to those 17 and under. Democratic lawmakers in California once wanted to ban state contracts with border wall companies. But after the Newsom administration hired one of those firms for pandemic response, lawmakers are mostly silent on the issue. Cap Radio's Scott Rod reports. In 2017, Democratic legislators were seething over President Donald Trump's agenda. Two dozen of them supported Senate Bill 30 which would have prohibited the state from hiring contractors that worked on his border wall. That included Senator Bill Dodd. Here he is at a Senate committee hearing. We've got to take a stand, you know, for something. That bill didn't become law, but it passed the Senate. Fast forward to this year. A recent Cap Radio investigation revealed the state is paying SLSCO, the company that built Trump's border wall in California, up to $350 million for COVID-19 response. Cap Radio reached out to over a dozen sitting lawmakers who supported SB 30. Few responded. Only one lawmaker, Senator Scott Weiner of San Francisco, agreed to an interview. We did not ban contracting with these companies when we had the opportunity to do so, and that was a failure by the legislature. Weiner stopped short of criticizing the Newsom administration, but he added, I think it would be uh, good to transition away from this company. Weiner says he does not know if any lawmakers plan to reintroduce similar legislation next session. For the California Report, I'm Scott Rod in Sacramento.
Access to banking is an indicator of a community's health, and as KPBS race and equity reporter Christina Kim finds, in Imperial County, a shortage of bank branches plus rising temperatures can lead to dangerous outcomes. Noon is still hours away on a Tuesday in early August, but the streets of El Centro, California are so hot it feels like the soles of your shoes could melt into the asphalt. Suffering in this heat are lines of people, many elderly, outside of Bank of America and Wells Fargo's branches. Beads of sweat form on the faces of customers as they wait patiently to use the ATM or talk to a teller. Juan Sequeria is an agricultural worker from Holtville, California. He waited an hour just to use the Bank of America ATM during his break. He says during the high heat season, the wait for an ATM is unbearable because there's no shade. Maria Lopez is retired and lives here in El Centro. She says she nearly fainted once when waiting at the bank on a hot day. Y me sentía mal, dice una señora que se siente mal, está bien demacrada. Y, y corrieron para adentro y vinieron y me metieron. She was rushed indoors where it was cooler. But to this day, she can't be out in the heat for long without getting sick. The local Wells Fargo branches in El Centro and Calexico have devised systems so that people have access to shade and someone is always there directing the flow of people. So how did it come to this? El Centro is in Imperial County, situated on the edge of the Anza Borrego Desert State Park. But the region is at risk of becoming another type of desert a banking desert. There are only 12 brick-and-mortar FDIC-insured banks for Imperial County's over 180,000 predominantly Latino and low-income residents, down from 19 as recently as 2013. I think we have seen a fair amount of branch consolidation um, in the past several years. That's Beth Mills, a spokesperson for the Western Bankers Association. She says consumer habits are driving the change, making branches less important. There's been a lot less people going into branches now with everyone doing mobile banking, not everyone, but a huge majority. But Jaisal Mendoza, the director of the Imperial Valley Small Businesses Development Center, says not everyone is online savvy and the lack of bank branches can be challenging for the small business owners she works with. The culture here is very different. Um, I can honestly say most business owners want to sit down um, and sit in front of a person and know who they're conducting business with. Maria Lopez, who nearly fainted while waiting in line that one time, no sé hacer eso, tells me she doesn't know how to bank online and isn't interested. She wishes there were more banks in the area so people wouldn't have to wait so long. Juan Lopez, a spokesperson for Wells Fargo who grew up in Imperial County, is no stranger to the lines. His own mom likes to go in and talk with the teller. I ask him if he thinks more branches would help alleviate the lines. Probably not the best person to answer that, but I would say I would say a very strong maybe. He does say, however, that when the branches started to close in Calexico a few years ago, the lines got longer. As those shutter and leave the, the community, the lines just get progressively worse because you know, we're the only bank there in Calexico, especially. State Senator Ben Weso represents Imperial County. In a statement, he said banking access is, quote, a huge problem in the Valley. He co-authored two recent bills that have paved the way for public banking options, which he hopes will help. For now, though, 
people are still lining up at Imperial's few bank branches, no matter what the thermometer reads. For the California Report, I'm Christina Kim in San Diego. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Randa Abdel-Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Southern Californians who live near oil refineries may soon be able to breathe easier. The South Coast Air Quality Management District unanimously passed its biggest emissions rule in decades on Friday. KCRW's Kaylee Wells has more on what that means. Since the 90s, the EPA allows polluting facilities like the oil refineries in Wilmington and Carson to emit a certain amount of poisonous nitrogen oxides every year. If they want more than that, they have to buy credits. But the caps are set so high and the credits are so cheap, emissions levels haven't dropped like the EPA had hoped. Alicia Rivera is with the nonprofit Communities for a Better Environment, or CBE. She says residents there experience black smoke and the smell of gas. So this is a big step forward and it's definitely a vindication for the communities such as Wilmington that are less than a mile away from five refineries. This new rule is expected to make the biggest dent in those emissions in decades. Now, a dozen refineries in Southern California will have to install pollution controls on their equipment. CBE organizer John Victor Anderson lives in Carson, home to several of those plants. We're going to breathe easier. It is by no means the rule that we wanted because we obviously wanted a stronger one. But these will get reductions in the contaminants that residents are breathing in 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 Southern California. The goal is to reduce emissions by 75 percent by 2027. The refineries have until September to submit their plans to meet the new requirement. For the California Report, I'm Kaylee Wells in Los Angeles. The U.N. climate conference in Glasgow, Scotland, is entering its second week. Protests at the end of last week included a passionate speech by climate activist Greta Thunberg, who called COP26 a failure. A two-week-long celebration of business as usual and blah, blah, blah. What happens outside of the negotiations is important. Chris Field directs the Stanford Woods Institute for the Environment and has attended the conference for years. He says there are actually three events taking place at COP. There's sort of a central core where negotiators from all the countries are, are working on text, fine-tuning commitments through the nationally determined contributions. They're talking about progress on thorny issues like loss and damage, whether there should be compensation for poor countries. And these negotiators, around a thousand people total, are mostly 
pretty cut off from the from the outer circles and the negotiating teams are mid to high level representatives of pretty much all the world's governments with drop-in visits from heads of state and, and ministers of environment. There's a second tier of official observer organizations, universities, big NGOs, corporations who are there to, to help provide information, to help make the case for the solutions that they're most interested in. And then there's a, an outer layer that in UN speak is called the green zone. And the green zone is open to the public and it has everyone represented from oil and gas interests to youth activist groups and really is where the public expressions of interest about climate change come into focus. What is the significance of these different circles? The whole idea of the Paris Agreement is that there's supposed to be mutual stimulating of ambitions, that as individual countries realize that they can commit more, they do that, encouraging other countries to step up, encouraging private companies to step up, encouraging activist groups to step up, and at the same time, pressure from NGOs and activist groups can stimulate the countries to push more, can stimulate companies to increase their commitments, and the whole idea of the Paris Agreement is to generate what you might think of as a virtuous circle, where every time an increase in ambition from one actor occurs, it tends to raise the ambition among the others, and also to increase the pressure on those who are perceived as laggards. How do you expect this conference to influence what happens here in California? Well, California really has an incredibly important position on the global stage as a real leader in both commitment to action on climate change and willingness to experiment with a, a wide range of approaches to driving emissions down. California really is important as a lighthouse for what can be done, examples of, of what works, examples of what don't doesn't work as are useful too. California's continued high-profile leadership makes a real difference in terms of the of the willingness of, of other parts of the U.S. and other places in the world to be involved. That was Stanford climate scientist Chris Field on the U.N. Climate Conference happening now in Glasgow. And that's the California Report for Monday, November 8th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Laura Clivens. Thanks for listening. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits, stanfordhealthcare.org slash adaptingcare. Paint Care, now with 800 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together on the web at schmidtfutures.com. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. 
This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment, and if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.